Dave Max Cork History Matters, brought to you by Red FM. Gabriel Doherty, we chat again? We do. Uh, the art and ideology of Terence McSweeney caught in the living flame is a publication from Cork University Press. By the time people listen to this, it will be out in the world. Uh, but just prior to us chatting, it's being launched in the All Maxima, Tuesday 1st of November, 6pm. Yep. And uh, it's been a long time in gestation. Uh, the, the book was conceived... As were with a view to the centenary of McSweeney's death for publication in 2020. And of course, as with so much of the commemorative programme in Cork, it fell foul of COVID. So there has, in effect, been a two year hiatus, uh, but better late than never. And I mean, the way that we're viewing the, the interval is that the book is decidedly an improvement on what it would have been had it appeared two years ago. And once it's published, it's there forever. So it would have been nice two years ago, but. It's better now. We've talked through that dramatic year of 1920. Uh, Tomás McCurtain assassinated in, in, in his home in Blackpool by the RIC, by Irishman. Yep. Uh, replaced by the man who had been his number two in the IRA in Cork, uh, Terence McSweeney, the subject of this anthology, which you tell me is bigger than the anthology of the... Uh, uh, see the Irish Revolution. It's not quite as heavy because the page size isn't quite as large, but in terms of sheer numbers of pages... Gotcha. Uh, never mind the quality, feel the width. So it's a, t- <laughs> so it's a tome again. Yes. <laughs> um, replaced him as Lord Mayor of Cork, uh, the second Sinn Féin Lord Mayor of Cork. Um, you know, I suppose I'm trying to put him into context based on what we've spoken about. He, he ultimately uh, was arrested on, on trumped-up charges or, or, or charged with sedition and imprisoned in Brixton Prison where he went on hunger strike yep. and died after a period of 48 or, or, or 60 Seven, days. 77 days or so. Some and, and attracted days. worldwide attention for yep. what was happening in Ireland. Became a cause celebre. Yeah. Um, that same year saw the burning of Cork. I mean, 1920, what a year to have lived through. Of all the people in the... Uh, and, and and by the way, feel free to flesh out the basics of his story for, for anyone. Oh, I, think, I think you're doing a very well, good job. Well, for anyone listening who might not know, just, you know, as we go along, let's yep. make sure we, we, you know, because both you and I have a... a pa- well, you've more than a passing knowledge. Um, why Terence as the focus of this anthology? Why him particularly? Partly... Because of the very focus that you've just mentioned is that he he tends to be remembered almost exclusively for his role as a political prisoner and as a hunger striker. And then, as it were, in the context of that, as Lord Mayor of Cork and as Commandant of Cork Number 1 Brigade. But those positions and those causes, as it were, those fights came towards the end of his life. Um, and what this book is trying to do is to to take readers back to the earlier formative period of his life and to to try and interrogate what was it about the way that he thought, about his values that that led him into those positions. Um, So it's trying to to recreate McSweeney as well, not just as a man of action, uh, not just as a doer, but as a thinker, uh, as an intellect, somebody who thought very, very deeply uh, about his country, but also somebody who was passionate about art, Art for political purposes, but also art, as it were, for uh, as an intrinsic good in itself. Uh, had the revolutionary period never occurred, uh, had he not become involved in Sinn Féin or the IRA, he would still have been a very powerful presence in his day uh, on the Cork poetry scene, on the Cork 
drama scene. He would still have written extensively uh, because most of the writings in the book are, are before he gets to the, the position, the elevated position he was to, to, to assume. So all of the things that in effect make him the, the substantial thinker that he was were already in place before he, he assumes, as it were, this very high public profile. And, and to a certain extent, that distorts what he he was. I mean, it, it shifts, I think, the, the phrase I think I might use in the volume is that it, it shifts the spectrum uh, to one end uh, and, and it, it detracts, I think, unfortunately, from his his role as a very significant player, both locally and primarily locally. Uh, but he was also an active participant in, in national political debates, in national intellectual debates, again, go back 20 years before his death. So that's really what the book is trying to, to, to examine. And, you know, in choosing him over Tomas McCurtain or Michael Collins or, you know, was it something about um, Terence McSweeney as a man not being as widely understood and acknowledged? Uh, th th that's a very good question. Uh, there are a small number of figures in this revolutionary generation who have been, as it were, accorded the privilege, if you like, uh, or the honour of having this type of extensive study done at them. People like Porrick Pierce, where there's a lot of his writings were collected after his death and published. People like James Connolly, where there have been extensive anthologies. Uh, we think that McSweeney deserves this type of anthology. We don't necessarily suggest that he's a figure in terms of his ideological formation as influential as uh, Connolly. We don't necessarily argue that in terms of national politics in the short term that he made the, the obvious dramatic impact that Pork Pierce did as leader of the 1916 Rising. But as somebody who, like Connolly uh, and Pierce, who did engage in the arts as well as politics, uh, he his career gives us a useful insight into both him as a man and as a thinker, but also the cork in which he was reared. Uh, the, the, the milieu, the cultural milieu in which he operated, um, his, what his friends were, who his friends were, who his associates were when he, for example, starts studying in a very serious way. He's, he's pretty remarkable as one of the, the earliest examples of as well, adult education. He, he takes a full-time night degree um, at a time when he, it was very difficult to hold down a day job. And the, uh, the night degree in those days, night degrees these days are pretty tough. Uh, the night degrees in those days were were extraordinarily difficult, and uh, and but this this study uh, that he undertook for that degree again helps to to widen his philosophy. He's forced to examine thinkers from abroad, uh, non English language uh, thinking about nationality and other matters, and all of this helps to to feed into what his ambitions for the country ultimately became. Before we go further into the story of him, it's. Yourself, Gabriel Doherty, Fiona Brennan, and Neil Bottomer. Are there th specific aspects that the three of you have looked at, yeah. and can you Bro broadly speaking, uh, the categorisation of the material is poetry, uh, which Fiona, a Kerry woman, uh, has has taken responsibility for. Uh, his sorry, drama has Fiona done. His poetry, which Neil Bottomer, formerly of UCC former of the Irish department in UCC, uh, took responsibility for, and his prose writings, uh, his journalism, his philosophic writings, his pamphlet, for example, on Jeremiah O'Donovan Rosser, it, uh, that was mine. So each of us basically adopted a, a common approach, which is that we would find 
all the relevant texts under those broad headings, reproduce them uh, in the volume, and then also write accompanying commentaries on each individual text and also on the, the corpus as a whole. So it's, it's a, a huge amount of material, practically all of it, uh, certainly in the pro in the poetry and drama sections uh, was previously unpublished his his the one book that I think some people may have heard of would have been principles of freedom uh, which was a series of articles he wrote in his lifetime about 1910 to 1912 after his death these were collated and, and published as a single volume uh, a, a new edition of that was published I think in 1995 for the 75th anniversary of his death uh, but even that volume hasn't doesn't hasn't really been studied extensively or made available in in this type of format. So it's 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 an unusual undertaking to to reproduce this scale of study. And and of course McSweeney is an unusual man. I mean, it, it to do what he did to hold down a day job, to study for a night degree, and yet to be producing and writing plays, to be producing or to be writing epic poetry, sort of hundreds of pages long. Uh, to be publishing full-length articles month after month after month uh, in the journal Irish Freedom. Uh, I think he was, we were probably lucky he was a single man uh, for most of this period because uh, I can't imagine, obviously he does ultimately marry, I can't imagine any wife uh, would have allowed him the leeway to do what he did during those years when he was single, but uh, I mean, his, his output was prodigious. Well, it's funny, we'll mention it briefly because we no doubt come back to it again as we go through the... the arc of his story, I guess, for want of a way to phrase it. But I spoke with Anne Toomey of Chandonary History Group and uh, we spoke about Muriel McSweeney and, and Terence's sisters and the Wallace sisters' incredible uh, stories that I uh, wasn't, you know, uh, as aware of prior to ca chatting with her as I was after yeah, yeah. No, I mean, they're... they're that's that's as you say. That's a it's a different story. It's organically linked, but it's a story that deserves to be told in its own right. Well, something I asked her during it, and by the way, it's ordinary women in extraordinary times. Both the book and the now documentary made by Framework Films. Uh, Muriel of the Murphy Brewing family, yep. you know, middle class, uh, respectable Catholic family. And I said, you know, would would Muriel's dating of and and. Anne suggested that there wasn't an immediate, maybe not attraction, but um, but but maybe it, Muriel maybe had to do a bit of work to capture. Well, I I, I think Terence's attention. He was he was married to his work. I mean, uh, ah. I mean and had been for. She admired decades. his mind. She did, and and she but she admired his. What I asked was, record. you know, what might there have been class issues in? You know, here's this Sinn Fein agitator, yeah. and, 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 and now Muriel was a bit different. She was, she was, and and she remained different uh, in many different ways. She, I mean, Terence was was from at best the lower middle class. I mean, he was. Yeah. So uh, where's he born? Where who's he, he? He's born on North Main Street. Yeah. Uh, his family going back some generations are, are essentially from West Cork in the Rand Kilmurray and his the Kilmurray Independence Museum certainly has a very strong collection of material relating to him. Uh, so he's born in, in North Main Street. He is one of a phenomenal generation of students that attend the North Mon. Um, unfortunately for him, his father, in effect, had, had left the family home. I don't think it was a question of desertion. Uh, he he had left to go to Australia. I think the original idea being that he would make his fortune over there and the family would follow him. Uh, I don't know whether the, the fortune ever materialised, but the family never followed. Um, so with the father absent, uh, and, and he had to go out and earn a living. So he had to leave the North Mon before he achieved his full 
very great academic potential. So like something 14, we, 15? Yeah, yeah, 15. Oh, sorry, did we get a year? Uh, roughly, but... Um, yeah, yeah. You're talking about 15, well, roughly. The, the, was, but yeah. sorry, what age? He died, obviously, in 1920, yep, clearly. Yep. And and was he 38 at that Something, time? Yeah, yeah. So, so he's, he's, loose math, he born in... Oh, hang on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, I, I should have this. This is a figure I should have. 42? No, sorry, um, 82. 82, 82. I think, in and around there, yes. Um, I think roughly about the same year as Eamon de Valera. But he, so he, he has to leave uh, this education and... And he had given every indication of being extraordinarily gifted at school. And as with so many uh, children of that generation where they were denied the opportunities that they were entitled to or should have been entitled to uh, by virtue of their intelligence, simply by virtue of their economic circumstances. So he has to go out and find a job. Uh, he, he's in effect a, a, a clerk, an, an accounts clerk uh, for a local firm. Uh, it's soul-destroying to him uh, in terms of the sheer drudgery, but he's he's a very conscientious man. He's very diligent, so he's capable of of in effect holding down that job during the day. Uh, but he, it's in the evenings that's when he comes alive. I mean, he's he is from from the youngest age again from a late teenager. He is really actively involved in pretty well everything artistic in the city. Uh, I, I, I'm not so sure he was particularly musical. In the way that, for example, Tomas McCurtain was. I mentioned Tomas McCurtain earlier on. He he formed, in effect, his own orchestra in Blackpool. But pretty much everything else, uh, McSweeney was was actively engaged in, especially drama. Uh, I mean, he was one of the real driving forces. We we've just well, sadly noted the the closure of Cork Dock, the the, the theatre company here in Cork. Um, he would be the type of fellow who would be founding. That type of company. In fact, he did the, the Cork Theatrical Society, um, and he was an actor. He was a producer. He is a playwright, set designer, lights, everything. Do, uh, do we know had he a role model in that world? I, I, he certainly studied theatre very, very extensively. He studied the greats of European theatre. I think he, he, he thoroughly admired Shakespeare. Uh, in a way, Shakespeare helped to diminish England's bad reputation in the world, as it were. That So uh, any country that could produce a Shakespeare couldn't have been all bad, despite all the evidence to the contrary. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, Ibsen, he was he was very strongly influenced by. So he, he was somebody who, notwithstanding the, the, what might term the rather limited opportunities for exposure to European white culture, yeah. he, he did everything he possibly could to do so. Any visiting theatre companies, they were coming to the Cork Opera House or the Everyman. He, he made a point of, of visiting. He went up to Dublin as much as he possibly could. And any visit to Dublin always included a trip to the theatre. The Carnegie Library, um, which, of course, was burned down in, in 1920 next to City Hall. Uh, he, as far as I can see, he basically finished that place off in terms of uh, accessing books, not just on the theatre, but subsequently when he's, he's doing his political philosophising, he's, he's borrowing books from pretty well every section. He was a bibliophile I mean, in that sense, and one of the great tragedies of his life is that he had to sell his entire library to fund his newspaper, which he produced at the outbreak of the First World War. Uh, that must have broken him uh, because he, he'd been collecting books since he was a child and he basically had to sell every single one of them to try and fund this newspaper, which lasts about two or three months, uh, which, we are, which we've reproduced in, in the volume. Uh, interestingly, it's called Fina Four. Uh, but uh, that that that's obviously has no 
party political affiliation. So he's somebody who is is keeping the stage job down, is bringing money back into the home, but is all the time working away in the Irish language. He's, he's working away in theatre. He's writing poetry uh, left, right and centre. And, and he's just burning the candle at both ends. You mentioned Jeremiah O'Donovan Ross, and it's interesting for me. That's why I asked when was he born, to try to get an idea of, you know, well, actually, 18, no, if he was... Fourteen, eighteen eighty third. Well, roughly, some time after eighteen eighty. Anyway, yeah. so then it's actually be prior to the turn of the century that he's out of school and having to work for his yeah. living. You know, I mean, so I think it might be eighteen ninety eight, eighteen ninety nine. I think yeah. famine. You know, yeah. is is a living memory. Yep. Um, you know, O'Donovan Ross's family. You know, lost. He he had a living memory of the famine. Uh, he idolized O'Donovan Ross. Mm. I mean, of all. The, the live historical figures. And of course, there were many Fenians mm. who'd been out in the 1860s and as well as those who'd as were, survived the famine. Of, of all them all, Devoy and, and all the others, James Stevens, mm. it was O'Donovan Rossa that he revered mm. uh, because of his steadfastness mm. and his resoluteness when he was imprisoned, his indomitability. That was a word that he, he used incessantly when he's talking about O'Donovan Ross and of course it's very much a phrase that springs to our mind when we're talking about uh, his own prison struggle. Uh, in, in the book I speculate as it were to a certain extent McSweeney's most famous dictum said when he became Lord Mayor was it's not those who can inflict the most but those who can suffer the most and to a certain extent that's almost a, a commentary on O'Donovan Ross's career because there were times when he did inflict when he was an advocate of, of using physical force uh, and, and he failed. When he suffered, when he endured, when he was the one who, against whom, the, as it were, the infliction was being done, that's when he triumphed. Mm. So I, I definitely think there's, to a certain extent, at least implicitly, if not explicitly, in that statement, uh, there's a judgment on how the Republican movement could best Go about its business and and using O'Donovan Rossa as it were as, as a focal point. Suffering leading to success. Exactly. What yeah. I found remarkable about Donovan Rossa, there was some sense in what I've read about him that he sort of seemed to have done something that had never been done before. And either correct me if I'm wrong, but whilst in British prison, had no respect for the authority, uh, refu like refused to cooperate yep. with being in prison. The governor, he threw his, I think his his, his feces and the like <laughs> in the face of the governor. He, yep. he 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 just really was. I'll have none of this. He, he, he was, and, and that yeah. seemingly hadn't been done before. It happened. I mean, simply because. The the convict regime was the, was so punitive, was so difficult mm. that anyone who is who was in their right senses mm. would do everything possible to avoid that type of confrontation. Because even if you kept your nose clean, uh, it was tough time, enough. It was still in, incredibly tough uh, to to positively revel as O'Donovan Ross had seemed to to do in, in defying the regime, knowing that this was almost certainly going to lead to your death. I I, I think again, knowing what we know about. Terence McSweeney's own hunger strike in his approach. It's a very different type of confrontation. It's not in your face. It's not aggressive. It's not throwing chamber pots. It's not breaking the penal code. But in some respects, it's almost more difficult for the British to handle. They'd never really experienced no Donovan Russell before. And as much as they kept trying to punish him, they couldn't push him enough, punish him enough to stop him. With, with, with uh, McSweeney, you can't punish him. 
uh, because to a certain extent he's punishing himself. And they, they found it as, as difficult to deal with McSweeney's, more, more difficult to deal with McSweeney's uh, way of subverting the prison regime than it, even with O'Donovan Russell's. It sounds trite, but I'm thinking of Cool Hand Luke. Uh, <laughs> Um, but I re- there's no, a bo- no, 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 no eggs or boiled no. eggs or something like that. There's a book I picked up in, in Skibbereen um, Museum, um, or, or it might be the Famine Museum, yep. actually, in Skibbereen. Yep. And it was about the, 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 the Phoenix and the, the, you know, the, the roots of republicanism in, in Skibbereen and in yep. the wider West Cork area through that sort of uh, post-famine period. Yep. And in part of it, it spoke about how some of those who, you know, uh, rose up during um, either in, in 67 which was that the Fenian rising yeah, or the, yeah. um, but some of those who it might have been Devoy or the likes of Devoy went to Paris and met someone who had been in 1798 yeah. and for me it was incredible to think of that stepping stone whereby there's someone Devoy who's met someone in 1798 yes. who O'Donovan Rossa links to Pierce yes. it the, the links for you and me sitting here now, it doesn't take that it much. Does, it's, not, it's not the old phrase about, was it six degrees of separation? But I mean, there you're talking about probably, because if you're talking about the extremes of, of, of long life, you're talking about three or four lifetimes to go all the way back to 1798. I mean, it, it really is striking. And how the, the thread runs yes, through it all. And, and that, that burning ambition to see yep. Ireland free, really, yep. or Ireland in a position to, to make its own calls. Yep. Um that I found that remarkable the, the the meeting in Paris of someone from 1798 yes. by someone like like Devoy or whatever who connects to O'Donovan Rossa who who ultimately is is he's deported is he escaped from Australia but he's in America anyways where yeah. he is mostly but he did, he did a, a, a postal bombing campaign he in did, yeah. in Britain yeah. I mean in in many respects you'd look at O'Donovan's approach and say you know that's the physical force side of things and you know how, how does one square away the the terror that that inflicts on the people who suffered it uh, with, well, with the, the, the political the, 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 you don't you don't I mean you you have to take him in the round you have to accept both as as it were if you're adopting the the advocacy approach to history where you're using history as it were to prove one case or the other you would look only at one part of O'Donovan Ross's career as it were the time when he suffered in prison and, and focus on that uh, if you wish to use him as a stick to beat the Republican tradition then you look solely at the dynamite campaign. Well, uh, he was more mixed because he seemed, what I know of him was he seemed, you know, utterly sort of militant, I guess. Yes, and, absolutely. And, any, and unapologetic. Yes. Unapologetic. And whatever it takes. And, and it's bring, strange. Bring the fight to them. Yes. And St- it, bloody the nose. It, it's so strange during that, that question of the apology because it, when O'Donovan Rossa died, famously, it was alleged that he'd gone soft on the British in his old age and had backed John Redmond's declaration or, or, or support for the war, etc. This drove McSweeney insane because he knew better than anybody that that wasn't true. Because in the newspaper Fianna Fáil, which I, I mentioned earlier, he had he had uh, published an interview with O'Donovan Rossa, or at least a report from somebody who had met O'Donovan Rossa in New York and on Staten Island, and and they said he was insane. Uh, he, he had only a very occasional moments of lucidity so McSweeney more than anybody else sort of his his hero is being denigrated in death and if one has a look at the the pamphlet he wrote uh, in conjunction with his uh, with that funeral it's seething with anger it is he he cannot barely express himself uh, the idea that even in death uh, this this heroic figure as far as he is concerned 
is being hounded and, and misrepresented. But I mean, in terms of O'Donovan Rossa had come back to Cork, he'd been given the house free of charge in, in, in Black Rock. He, he didn't stay very long because uh, I suppose he, his life was in, is in uh, America. But there's, again, some very interesting material in the book about his sister seeing Terry, as she called him, because that was the family name for him, walking down the street, Patrick Street, going after uh, O'Donovan Rossa when he'd been received. Um, and, and she said that there was a look on his face that she couldn't quite comprehend at that time. And she said it was only in his own death Terence McSweeney's death. In effect, the, the look in his face then reminded her of the look of his face on that. And she called it the look of the conqueror. Uh, and and it, it's it's absolutely fascinating. We, we tend to regard, as it were, the uh, categorise, I suppose, the, the Republican movement convenient into sort of different wings, sort of militant wing or nominant militant wing. And, and McSweeney would be somebody who would be regarded as, as having engaged in a non-violent form of, of protest. Uh, but it... Uh, it really is, is does make much historical sense to to type of superimpose those type of things because O'Donovan Rossa had both a a militant and non-militant, a confrontational and a passive uh, way of doing things on occasions, and McSweeney likewise. And in his, I mean, I think it's the, the the modern IRA talked about the the Armalite and the ballot box, the the two approaches, and and you look at Irish history and it swings between well, periods it's, it's, of it's, it's, it's very political I, I, agitation yeah. and violent. Well, agitation. Until you just mentioned that point, I hadn't, it hadn't even struck me that both men were elected to the English Houses of Parliament. Uh, both men were elected uh, as MPs. Neither, of course, took their seat because... Donovan Russell, whilst in prison, that yes, must have yeah. been like a cause celebre at the time It as was, well. and, and he, the, the British had to, in effect, change their practices so that somebody who was a convicted felon uh, wouldn't be able to be elected. So he, he, he was elected fair and square. There was, there was no question of impropriety or uh, any procedural... Uh, problem with his election, but they just didn't like the outcome. So they passed a law in the effect to, to say this election never took place, <laughs> and and we're going to we're going to go again, but not with him. Uh, but of course, McSweeney then is also elected in in 1918. That sounds like Ireland and European. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we, we won't verge into that territory. But... Um, well, it, it is funny the the mirror that there appears to be between those two characters. Mm -hmm. I just will jump. Yeah. yeah. Well, not necessarily jump, but just uh, who who is the old Fenian? Tom Clark was it? Yep. I, on hearing O'Donovan Ross's uh, death, and was said, and, and he said, "Bring him home to Ireland." Yep. And uh, a huge funeral was arranged, and Podrick Pierce gives his oratory, yep. uh, signalling, you know, effectively what was to come. You know, it's powerful stuff, yeah, and Glasnevin is well worth a visit um, for for a tour and to get a mm -hmm. sense of that. And, and and McSweeney was at the funeral. I mean, so so right, so. At what point do you think in McSweeney's life, like, are, you know, even the world then, so the Boer War is going on at yes. the turn of the century, yes. you know, so there's a, there's a, there's a grouping of, of the British Empire rising against the British. There, there um, are, but in Ireland then you also have what was called the, the killing home rule by kindness mm. uh, approach. Uh, yes. The Conservative government, particularly associated with Lord Salisbury and his Prime Minister, argued that what Ireland needed was not self-government, but better government. Mm. So uh, a whole series of concessions are made, land reform, educational reform, the establishment of the so-called congested districts board to help with problems in the west of Ireland. Uh, and all of these sort of make a concrete difference to everyday life in Ireland. And, and which is one of the reasons why many Republicans were fearful in case that 
this would lead to a diminishing of of the desire for self-government uh, meantime there's big celebration or there's big commemorations around 1898 yes, yep. there's a statue in my hometown of Dundalk the Maid of Erin yes. erected a, you know and it's this is within within British rule in Ireland you know Irish men are, are, are fundraising and uh, you know <laughs> getting a sculptor to create a work of art that they plank in the centre of the town. Like, yeah. it's incredible that this spirit lives within the, the officialdom almost. It does. It's, I mean, it's very interesting. We're going through, we're coming to the end, I suppose, of the decade of centenaries now because there was this series of important events. But to a certain extent, they also had their, their equivalent of the, the, the decade of centenaries uh, in the 1890s and the early 1900s. You'd had the centenary of the attempted French landing in Bantry Bay, for example, early in the 1790s. You had 1898. You had the centenary of the Robert Emmett uh, uprising in, in, 19, in 1803 and then celebrated in, in 1903. So historical memory was was very, very uh, active uh, in those times. The, the, the National Monument and Grand Parades, is that date to that time? It, it's a little bit later, but it, yeah, it, it's basically it's inspired. In the, yeah. I, I think it's it's a legacy. As I it suppose what I'm asking, or what I'm trying to ask is, you know, like, you know, the, the Anglo-Irish... Uh, uh, Influence on the Celtic revival is in full flight, and and yep. there's a recognition that something might be lost, uh, and a, and a desire, you know, myth and story, and so like, are are kids like McSweeney growing up? Are they already Republican, or is he, he unusual, yeah, or yeah. where does that come from? I mean, he he's a cradle Republican. I, I, there are few, very few people. Uh, who... Cork was quite a British city. It was. It was, and. Or by that I mean loyal. It was, it was. And you had a very substantial English garrison. Uh, you had a very large police force. You had a great deal of the city's commercial life, I suppose, is, is inextricably bound up with access to British markets, to empire markets, etc., etc. Um, so the, there were many forces that were pulling the city that way. Uh, McSweeney was somebody who, from the very early stage, under the influences of his, of his elder sisters, uh, who was rebelled against that, uh, and 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 of all the the Republicans, even including people like Tom Clark and Sean McDermott and 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 all the others who were out in 1916, McSweeney is as a Republican uh, really as soon as he draws his first breath. And is it very closely linked? As I and I think the answer to this is yes, with social justice. You know, is it is it that you know in order to be able to affect change in society? To revolt, to you know, a, a revolution in society, mm. we need to cast off empire, cast off, you know, domination by by an upper class, by a moneyed class, and yeah. re re uh, rework how society functions yeah. I mean, through and, a Republican guise. Yes, and and, and because and, I know that Muriel was very socially conscious in that regard. Well, I mean, she she would have probably been more socialist than than okay. uh, Terry, as it were. That that. His, but is the desire for nationhood and republicanism linked to that sense I, it, of it, it, there it, is injustice all the, around? There, there is injustice, but it, it takes many forms. It's not just sort of poverty and, and emigration, which of course were rife, uh, and they were inevitably linked to the British system of government, the idea that Ireland was being, Irish interests were being subordinated to, to Britain. But it's also in th such things, for example, as the Gaelic League, uh, the idea that the British are consciously trying to eradicate uh, Irish language and the Irish language culture as a means of suborning Ireland and, and making them happy English children, as it were. It, you can see it in the GAA, uh, the idea again that England was trying to impose its sporting culture on Ireland. And unless something is positive is done to resist that, 
Um, and that Britain, is what it is. It's resistance, isn't it? It is. It's it resistance is. And, and forceful self-expression. Yeah. And, and that's where his, his, his art and his politics mixed. Um, he, he, he was perfectly capable of writing what we nowadays call love poetry. I'm not sure it was necessarily very good. I'm not, I wouldn't uh, project myself as an expert on love poetry. Uh, but you always get the sense that his real interest when he's writing his poetry and producing and writing his plays is as it were the political overtones, as it were the, the, the interpersonal was something which I think he, he thought about in the abstract, but until he met Muriel and married Muriel, uh, he'd, he'd had sort of occasional girlfriends, but it wasn't something that he'd, he'd really devoted his, he'd devoted his life. It was, as it were, the, to use JFK's famous phrase, sort of ask not what you can do, what your country can do for you, but he, he always sought what he could do for his country. Well, because like, it, it just is interesting, you know, because I've always felt with the O'Donovan Rasa story, like if you've witnessed your family suffer through the famine, yes. you'll have a flame inside you that will, yes. you know, cause you to uh, yeah. be in the position to, uh, um, in, you know, the indomitable spirit we yes. spoke of, endure, I, I, endure I, I, anything out of, out of a sort I, of a I, remembrance yeah. of a horror that you experienced that you can never forget and it, it is yep. it is your I don't know your your creed of spirit it is. To, to, and, and, and that's that. <laughs> again the, the, the pamphlet which is reproduced in the book uh, part of that pamphlet is itself a reproduction of uh, O'Donovan Ross's memoirs uh, and the one thing that McSweeney is desperately keen to prioritise is exactly those famine experiences. Uh, while McSweeney, as, a, as it were, is a, a generation removed from the famine, as you mentioned earlier on, it's only a generation. Um, and he and everybody else of that generation who were growing up in, in the later 19th century, for all that there were some improvements, as you mentioned earlier on, uh, as a result of government action, the, 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 the collective memory of what had happened was still very, very fresh. Because uh, there's a, as we said, there's a continuity through the through the episodes of the periods, the 1798, the 1803 or 05 with Robert Emmett. There's the Cabbage Patch uprising in the middle of the yeah. famine. There's the Fenian uprising. So you know, it's it's, it's a regular occurrence. But this flame is, uh, 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 you know, kept burning. Yeah, yeah. It, it, and, and that's you know that's the subtitle of yes, and and that's uh, that idea caught in the living caught flame. in the living flame. And and that was that's a quote from from the. On the text and he, that idea of the flame which of course you can be burnt by the flame you can be damaged by the flame flames can also purify uh can illuminate so it's as it were the positive aspects of of, of that imagery that he wants to uh, uh to, to celebrate and again then how widespread like so official cork you must imagine is is anything but a Republican, or, or you know, uh, I mean, it's it's probably home rule seeking and happy yes. to be and, and, within and, the empire. Yeah. And, and again, in, why, why, who, what could we do outside of this? Yeah. And, and and he lambastes, uh, as it were, those who project themselves as being home rulers and interested in Ireland's right to self government. Yes, who do nothing to achieve that. And when, for example, royal visits take place to Ireland and to Cork, which had in the case around in his youth, uh, they they lay out the red carpet, uh, disgusted and, by this, and 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 uh, are bestowed with mm. titles, garlanded and, exactly, and and he he is doffing the cap and bowing and scraping, and tugging and... the forelock, <laughs> and he's he's disgusted, mm. uh, and again that comes out in his, in his in his political writings, but it also comes out in his poetry as well. I mean, his uh, I, I I would say and. Again, I'm probably, I don't know whether I'm biased or not in a negative sense. I always think that his, his 
preferred medium of expression were poetry and drama. I think he only comes to prose writing, as it were, towards the end of, of his creative period, before he becomes absolutely uh, up to his neck in, in activities. Uh, and I think his best thought, his most inspiring thought, is, uh, is expressed in poetic and dramatic form, however good the prose is. And the prose is, is fantastic. It really is. But he just was, he was somebody who I think thought poetically and it was almost a mental leap then to try and bring that down to the ordinary world of sentences and verbs and and full stops and, and so on. So we know that, uh, you know, Arthur Griffith founded Sinn Féin and the British wrongly attributed the rising to Sinn Féin and, and that sort of so caused Sinn Féin to win the next election and yeah. uh, by a landslide. And all of these people that probably weren't part of Sinn Féin became part of Sinn Féin because yeah. that was who to be a part of. But, you know, in the, that late 1800s, early 1900s, Collins is down in West Cork as a young man. Or maybe he's no, over he's in London. London. He's, he's over he's, in London. Yeah, yeah. So IRB recruitment is going on. Where, yes. like, so the Fenian rising in the 1860s is a failure, but it, it doesn't go away. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, and, and so, what what are there secret cells around? I mean, what what are Young McCurtain and McSweeney and Cork? I mean, the, the IRB was was weak uh, as an organisation. It existed. Uh, many of the the younger rebellious spirits, including McCurtain and McSweeney, to a certain extent, had a little bit of sort of a jaundiced view of some old, of those who were holding positions uh, because they believed that, however important their service had been back during the, the 1860s, um, that you couldn't live off that indefinitely. Uh, and they believed that it was necessary for a new generation, uh, in effect, to, to take over. And and they do. Uh, and, and But uh, under a new guys or under the... Well, the IRB guys remained because it. it so they're within. They are. They they're signed up to the yeah, IRB. I mean, they're, they're but what does they're, that mean? Does that just mean like it, it, there's it, lads you know and that well, you're friendly what, what, with and you have what, meetings? What, well, and, and that's it. I mean, what it means is that there's there's a, a relatively small culture uh, of individuals who are and people like Ty Barry and, and others who are associating with them, um, and and it, it basically is a forum uh, in which they can work together in which they can so, share ideas and wait for the opportune moment yes, yes. Catch, and, capture and, the and, moment. And, and, and seek to bring that opportune moment yeah. forward yeah. forward and, and, and sooner so they're uh, not conspiring for direct action but they're kind of going you know can we build this can yes. we make this swell to the point where we're... and again that's where he 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 believed that art had a role to play uh the, 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 the inspiring the, of it that, and 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 that you raise consciousness that you sort of use the nation as the organising theme, as it were, behind many of the plays, which it was. And where is he putting these plays on? The, the, unfortunately for him, uh, there's only one that really gets staged uh, in the full manner that he, he liked. Most of them are plays that had been drafted. And just from a financial point of view, again, coming back to what we were discussing about Corker Dorka, uh, the amount of money that it was involved, as you know, to, to stage a successful play up front was, was quite substantial. So most of the plays... Never, never saw the light of day in terms of uh, being staged, but that didn't stop him from constantly working on these themes uh, with a view to ultimately, hopefully, uh, putting them on. The one exception to that was a play called The Revolutionist, uh, which again is reproduced in the book, which after his death was staged in the Abbey. Uh, I, I'm not aware that it was staged at the time of his centenary of his death, but of course, COVID put paid to any possibility of that. I personally would love to see it being staged and, and given uh, the proper treatment. Uh, again, I, I, I don't really have the 
artistic judgment to say whether it's a good or bad play. Mm. Um, but it's it's certainly an interesting one by simply by virtue of mm. the subject matter and, and who wrote it. Who wrote it? Yeah. Uh, and and again without sort of uh, assuming a, a dramatic insight which I don't possess, having read it rather than having seen it performed, and yes, of course reading yes, a play yes, isn't yes, necessarily isn't the, the right way to go about it. Uh, you, you can certainly see motifs that were to become very prominent again in his own career and his own death. Uh, so it, it's that in that sense, there is no great distinction drawn between as well his his art and his politics. The, the two were mutually reinforcing. And so the world is in a revolutionary state, or or, no. or you know, because then there's the Crimean War, which goes wrong for Russia, which which causes you know the the the, the, the you know all of it like all around like there's stuff going on all around. Well, I mean during the First World War, I mean. Well, it, well just to, just to bring it a bit back, before yeah. that, just in the sense that there's three efforts to bring home rule through. Yes. Uh, through the 1900s to 1910 yep. type time, presumably, or in and around that. Yeah. He's disdainful of all of those efforts. Yep. Even if home rule comes through, it's not enough. No, it's not. It's not. Um, and and. To a certain extent, there was. I think he was on the wing of the. Uh, oh, so there's the, the red. The, the, so there's Redmond. Um, um, well, what are they? They're not the Volunteers because that happens later. What's the Nationalist Party? Is that yeah, it? yeah, the, the Irish Parliamentary Party, the Irish, Irish Parliamentary Home Rule Party, Irish yes. Party. They're always the same. Uh, and within that, there would have been more militant people like. Mac there, there was. There was are some they part of the yeah, Irish. There was. There was some. There were some people who were, as it was supposed, on the advanced wing of the Home Rule yeah. uh, movement. People like Erskine Childers. Yeah. Uh, who, of course, subsequently became an anti-treaty Republican. There was a, a, an element within the, the Home Rule movement that, as it were, were, were unhappy with the, the idea of Home Rule as an end in itself and, and wanted to use that as a jumping-off point. Yes. There were others who think you were saw it as a terminal point. Yes. Uh, so the, the the Home Rule Party was, as it were, uh, uh, but it was a, a spectrum. But it was a catch-all for nationalists. It was, yeah. And would they have been a part of that? The... the the, the, Republic, they, I, the Republicans, really, the Republicans, no, no, no. absolutely not. They, they they held themselves. And in. do they have a political party? They they don't. Uh, even Sinn Fein, of course, at that point was was monarchical. I mean, Sinn Fein, up until nineteen seventeen, supported the concept of of monarchy, dual monarchy. I.e., you would have <laughs> a, a separate. You would have, if you if, if you like, to King Charles of Ireland and King Charles of Great Britain. Uh, and and the, the you'd have might have the one figure, but occupying different positions, and uh, Ireland would have its own government, its own armed forces, and, and so on and so forth. But you would be acknowledging the crown, as it were, as a, a some point of point of contact. Uh, but that wasn't McSweeney's uh, concept. Uh, it's one of the reasons why he doesn't engage with Sinn Fein until 1918 as it were. Sinn Fein moves towards him moves in a Republican direction in late 1917 when it adopts a new constitution and de Valera becomes head rather than him moving towards Sinn Féin. Sinn Féin as a cultural expression of self-reliance was something that he, he very much I, I mean, sorry. advocated. Uh, but as a political party, it's, it, it's really only when it becomes fully Republican that that's when he, he throws his hat in with them. Again, I'm just trying to get in my own head, that sense of the world and where it's at, because all through that late 1800s period into the early 1900s is the formation of countries all over Europe. Yep. Italy and Garibaldi and mm -hmm. Bismarck and Germany. Like, so there's all of this nationhood and yep. nation building. Well, I mean, and, and, and nationalism. And, and nationalism. Yeah, I mean, and it was, it was a very potent force. And of course, in many, it's simultaneously a, a period of state formation, state building. It's also a period of 
tremendous imperialism. Uh, that the the great empires are reaching their their zenith, mm. Britain. That's 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 and it's that it's tension like between, and yang, them. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And and the very fact that the Italians and the Germans had succeeded in creating through their own efforts, sort of nation states, was uh, an inspiration to the Irish and to many other nationalities. Some of whom, of course, like the Poles, uh, were themselves subjugated uh, by the by the Germans, amongst others. Uh, so that the, nationalism uh, is is really a very powerful motivating force in in Europe at the time, and 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 McSweeney, as it were, is a local expression of that. So nineteen fourteen, you know, Home Rule is passed and it's paused until the First World War is over, and you know, there's the guns being landed in the north. Uh, there's the response in the south, and the Irish Volunteers are formed. Is he a part of that? Yes. Um, you know, we, we he's, he's, he, he and McCurtain are basically the first, the two uh, commanders from the very outset. McCurtain. And how do they? So how is it that they're those guys? Because they are known to be militants. Uh, they are have been actively smart involved. guys. Yes, and they've been actively involved in again every Irish Island movement uh, going. They helped to organise the meeting uh, in Cork, which Roger Casement. Uh, speaks. Uh, there's there's actually a riot uh, at that because somebody calls. It's all McNeil, but somebody calls for three cheers for Edward Carson for having shown Irishmen the way of <laughs> of, of forming their private armies. Uh, and and the the stage is rushed by those who are not exactly enamoured uh, of that call for three cheers. Uh, but they're the two individuals who drive the formation of. Uh, well, it the, sounds the like there's a, there's a real groundswell there now. I mean, now now it it seems. I mean, well, maybe it doesn't. It, it, no, it is absolutely it feels broader now, and there's yeah. more people. And, and again, this is where my own section of the book dealing with his political writings, uh, that the the volunteers have their own journal, and McSweeney contributes a number of articles to that, uh, and they're absolutely again fascinating at a personal level. I I, I think these articles really show that. He just loved being a soldier, or as it were, playing at a soldier. But he he wanted to be a soldier. He he absolutely loved the life. He loved the hardness of it. He loved the marching. He loved the camaraderie. I think that he finds in soldiering and and in the the company of like minded individuals that company which he hadn't he'd been searching for and hadn't really found uh, in in his life uh, up to that point and he, he just revels in it. So are they going off to like forests at the weekend and yes. camping? They're, they're, and... they're going, there's a, there's a very interesting article where he writes, they're going up to Galway uh, and they are encamped close to Ockram. Uh, of course, the Battle of Ockram and after Ockram's great disaster. So he, he goes to look at the battle site um, and he has this very interesting speculation where he believes that it might not necessarily have been a bad thing as it were, for the Irish cause to have suffered the defeat at Ockram because James, who was the, the Catholic king, but not Irish, who was, as were the, the Irish were fighting on his side, he believed to have been utterly worthless. Uh, and, and he speculated that it was necessarily no bad thing that his cause was defeated. Obviously, he regretted the penal laws and everything that had happened, but he was somebody who could discern in defeat. Yeah that there were worse things than defeat. And occasionally, victory could bring more problems than, than defeat. And again, if you if you think about his subsequent career, that that is an in indication of a, a mindset which is already well-established mm. long before 1916 or, or 
all like that. Well, that's what I find ironic about that whole uh, James and William thing is that James was an absolute monarch. Yeah. There was no fetter on on king on kingship Absolutely whatsoever. And actually William, who was brought in in order to be Protestant and who had agreed he would abide by some restriction, some 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 a tension between precisely uh, because Parliament had been the one that engineered his. So actually, power. the that the winning of that was a more modern. Um, you know, it, it it paved the way for for a society. You know, led by people in, incrementally, incrementally, sort of, sort yes. of, uh, as it Whereas were. The, this it was the old way and and a new way yeah. where where civil society but, but, but had a role to play. Interestingly, in in, in in McSweeney was was rare in those days. I mean, as as a historical figure. Uh, well, James wasn't somebody who was looked upon with any great favour um, by uh, Irish Republicans or Irish Nationalists generally. Uh, the 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 Williamite conquest and the Orange tradition was regarded as much worse. Whereas McSweeney, while he doesn't have anything much to say good about Orangeism per se, uh, certainly argued that King James was was somebody who. Frankly, nobody should be sharing, uh, shedding a, a tear over, and and again, the, the idea that in defeat, some good could come, which is the theme of, of his article when he's looking out in the summer of nineteen fifteen. Uh, just this is just before the the Odonmanasa commemoration, where the the camp is being held there. There's a famous picture of of that camp, and all of the senior officers of the volunteers are there. It's the camp was in Kusan, I think, in in County Westmeath. But they're they're marching around. Uh, occasionally, they have to they get chased off by local unionist landlords uh, and have to find somewhere else to to camp. But at a personal level, I mean, he he absolutely reveled in that type of of lifestyle. Uh, and it's again, it's impossible to to speculate what what would have happened. But he, I think, he takes much much more easily to soldiering than he does perhaps to politics. Uh, because he regards soldiering as pure, uh, as uncompromising, as noble, as potentially heroic in a way that perhaps politics rarely can be. Um, so it, he, he was, he was, say, inspired by history. And he was certainly historically incredibly literate. But it, to me, it was more at the personal level where he's, he's talking about the good, the, the fun that they had on camp and how people were making mistakes and deliberately trying to trip people up or get them caught out and punished and things like that. The type of things that you can imagine went on. And he absolutely loved this. And he's somebody who, one of the, the biographers has said that, he he said in, again, it's in, in the text where he, he would love to, to go with somebody who's good fun. Uh, it's not somebody who's necessarily a particularly strong intellect, or but somebody who's good fun. I, I don't get the sense that he was necessarily good fun himself mm. uh, in, in much of his life. I think he was just simply too sincere, too intense. But he certainly admired that quality in, in others. Where's Muriel come into this now? Has he met her at this point? No, not at this point. It's really, it, it's a, he's he's arrested uh, after the 1916 rising. Well, yeah, well, hang, oh, let's just, because Cork... You know, regret like they they all gather in Shear Street in in the the headquarters of of the volunteers of the volunteers and, and the building they're, is they're surrounded. Yeah. There's a negotiation with the bishop. Yeah. Um, but they regret it. Yeah. They regret that they weren't able to do anything, and that burns within Absolutely. the court. I mean, it, 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 within McCurtain and McSweeney, the idea that Dublin fought and fought very well, but fought against overwhelming odds and and led to many people dying, and and this was. 
a chance the like which was they believed was highly unlikely to ever recur in their lifetime, which had barely ever occurred in anyone's lifetime. Uh, and the idea that court could be perceived as, as, as it were, sitting on its hands was something which cut McSweeney. Even though was, there was miscommunications and there was, there was, there, there was no court, reasons. I mean, there was, there was a, a, a court martial on both men, and they were both men were acquitted on the volunteers after their release in 1917 because. When, so well, are they in Frangok and the like, and they, they, somewhere? Yeah, they, 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 I don't think they're either, either of them in Frangok. Kara, maybe. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they're not regarded as that's as as, as the worst offenders, precisely because they're not out mm. in 1916. Mm. Uh, but they're they're in and out. Uh, McSweeney ultimately is coming to to Muriel. Um, the, the British, when they rearrest him in 1917. Uh, they don't put him in prison and they don't put him into a prison camp. They, they in effect, banish him uh, to a part of the English sort of rural Midlands uh, and, in effect, say that you have to stay there. So it's both a banishment from Ireland and a compulsory residence order that he could only move a certain distance from, from this area. Um, so it, it's a, it's a, it's almost a form of house arrest, but sort of local house arrest. Uh, so when when it, when the time comes for him to marry, he marries in the local church. Uh, Father Dominic, of who with whom he was in very good friends and remained very good friends to his death, uh, smuggles a an Irish volunteer's uniform over with so him. He marries over yep, in, to Muriel, yes, who he's met yep. and is now communicating with from yep. a distance, yep. and they're pining. And they're like, let's just get married. Exactly, they, 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 they'd mess. Uh, I, I think. I mean, he was a handsome man. I mean, uh, he, he, he's for the, the period. He's, he's tall, and I'm informed, uh, very good looking. Uh, and he was, he was a name. He was a catch. Uh, but, uh, but, 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 as so was she. <laughs> but her family, I'm thinking. Yes, were not at all enthused. No, uh, they but, were. But she was a bit of a wild card. Anyway. She was. She was, and she. I think she, as, as with the occasion, you get the products of privileged background. She she rebels against almost everything, all the values in which she'd been mm. reared. Uh, the Berthley family is, so I suppose nominally they might have. Been tempted to describe themselves as nationalists, but their 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 politics are almost irrelevant because of the money that they they have they, they move in the right circles. They have this sort of huge family family home. She's they're merchant princes, aren't they? Yeah, they are, and 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 she's protected for life in terms of her her, her income. Uh, and it's interesting that during his hunger strike, that was something that McSweeney found reassuring that that he knew that, for example, the hunger strikers are here in Cork. Uh, who were leaving behind loved ones, in some cases they were married men, and they didn't have money. Uh, and, and that's something that he found very, very difficult to deal with, that he knew that his wife and his child at that stage, of course, uh, was was going to be protected because they they were propertied. But there were others who were also on hunger strike who, who weren't in the same happy position. But Muriel, anyway, and, uh, and, and Terence Marry, Terry, uh, to his friends, uh, and Toomey mentioned how um, his sisters were, you know, um, 
questioning of Catholic orthodoxy in the new uh, state. Well, and, it's, but they, they did a battle with the bishop. They did. They did. Uh, and the bishop was was down on the on the hunger striking in the civil yes. war. Yeah. And they and she rebutted him word for well, word. Well, the I mean, I think it's more Catholic and, than the Pope. I mean, it's not so much that they rebelled. Sorry, the sisters were quite Catholic, but maybe yeah. it was Muriel, was it? No, Muriel, Muriel repudiated. Yes. Uh, that, that almost in its entirety, and she went on to sort of have a, a relationship with a basically a French communist. She had a, yes. a child uh, with him. There's almost a little bit of the, the Jackie Kennedy type mm. of scenario where yes. she's regarded as this heroic figure who's been left a widow. And then she has this afterlife, which casts a slightly different light on on her and, and what I'm going before, whether that's fair or not, yes, uh, is is you know, we, is we, another we, matter. We spoke about some of that as well, and Anne had some strong views on it, and uh, and 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 it's it's worthy of far further investigation. But in some of what I just wanted to relate to you there was she spoke about the bishop in the paper uh, uh, and the rebuttal that came, I presume from Muriel, but maybe it was one of the sisters, but it was point for point and yep. he had referred to him as Terry and yep. in it and she said, and finally, um, he was known as Terry to his friends and family. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> but I think I think the unwritten bit was of which you are neither. Not, yes. <laughs> I mean, she, the, the, I mean the, they were absolutely devout Catholics. I mean, sort of in a way that... Well, that was the split between the sisters and Muriel, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and I, I think there's, 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 there's other things as well because, again, it comes back to how she conducts herself generally. Um, but certainly it was a big part of it. Um, but the sisters were very well theologically formed. And, of course, they had encouragement of like-minded Republican priests like Father Dominic uh, in, in the area. Father Dominic, when uh, the bishop issues an excommunication edict after the burning of Cork for anyone who's engaged in uh, ambushes and the like. Father Dominic basically tells the Cork number one brigade, ignore him. He's got he's got the theology wrong. Uh, and and arguably he had. Uh, but so so it was always possible to find sort of sympathetic uh, viewpoints from within the church. Uh, whatever stand that you took on, on, on a variety of different issues. Uh, so they, they so, uh, by the way, just briefly, I presume for anyone um, in, in, in the, who, that was out in 16, there might have been a disdain for anybody involved in the movement that hadn't been out. Uh, or, or, or maybe yeah. not a disdain, but maybe a sort of a, he wasn't out. Uh, well, I mean, certainly, it's, I don't think it's necessarily a negative, but if you were out, it was a distinct oh, positive. Right. I mean, as we know, I mean, anybody who was out, uh, some of them didn't necessarily prosper subsequently for a variety of different reasons, particularly those who took the anti-treaty side. Um, but if you had been out, you, you, it, it wasn't quite a meal ticket for life. Um, but I mean, a very significant proportion of the, the post-independence generation, really going up to the 1950s, in uh, Cosgrave uh, was, was heavily involved. De Valera obviously was, Le Mas, uh, was. Uh, it's really only with Lynch uh, that you start uh, to get, well, Costello, I suppose, a little bit, but Lynch is really the first clear break when you have somebody that there's a generational shift. Uh, so I, I don't think it's necessarily sort of a, a negative that you weren't, because, of course, it's really only in Dublin that they were, but it's a decided positive if you were. Uh, so he's re-arrested again at 17. He's He's quarantined in, yeah. in, in, in somewhere in the Midlands in, in England. Muriel comes over, they marry there uh, with the, the, the local priest has mentioned Father... Uh, well, Dominic, Father Dominic comes Father over Dominic, and he, With the volunteer uniform. Yeah. 
how does he get back and what happens when he gets I mean, back? Because oh, we're getting to the kind of end of it. Now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ultimately he's released as, as most of the uh, prisoners were, partly because of a desire to try and encourage... Uh, well, America was in the war and, and that was a constant factor that the British, in terms of how they handled the Irish question, always That's had to yeah, always had to have one eye on on America. Uh, now, when America become, gets into the war in the spring of 1917, the British hands are, are, are uh, not tied quite so much, but they can never afford to, I suppose, leash, unleash hell. Uh, and and on the way, I think they were sorely tempted to, and as ultimately they did in, in 1919, 1920 during that period. But it's at this point that the, the last of the, the writings take place. Uh, in the spring of 1918, you have the conscription crisis where the Germans break through uh, the Western Front after having knocked Russia out of the war. They break through the, the trench lines. It seems as if France is going to lose. Uh, just just when the Americans are starting to arrive in, in large numbers. And the British propose to apply conscription to Ireland. Now, what they're thinking was can be disputed. Uh, the British were saying, well, we haven't applied conscription to Ireland in the way that we have to England, Scotland and Wales. We need the men. And as a quid pro quo, we will be introducing Home Rule. What many Republicans thought is they just wanted to kill uh, as many Republicans as they possibly could in, in order to make sort of a post-war British government of Ireland that a little bit easier. But McSweeney comes out and, and releases a pamphlet, which reproduces some of the earlier, much of the earlier texts, uh, in effect, on the right to rebel. And it's a, it's a very interesting sort of philosophical, very quite extended philosophical discussion. It, it encompasses about four chapters of the original series, or four articles. Uh, and, and he looks at sort of teaching across within Catholicism, across other belief codes, about what are the conditions within it's legitimate to throw off established government, how, what are the, the factors that you have to bear in mind in how you do it, and so on and so forth. Um, so as far as he's concerned, the conscription crisis provides a sort of a, a point at which Ireland can legitimately, in good conscience, challenge established British authority. And very interestingly, when we're talking there about the Catholic hierarchy, the Catholic hierarchy said that the proposal to apply conscription, in effect, was violated the the law of God, uh, and and people had a right and to a certain extent a duty to resist with all methods consonant with the law of God, which didn't mean consonant with the law of the land, that you could break the law of the land in in resisting conscription so long as you didn't break the law of God. So in effect, the, the Catholic hierarchy is, is giving a green light to those who argued that there were, that this circumstance had become so extreme that you could, that the circumstances in which you could defy and overthrow uh, British rule had been reached. And that is, that leads in that year to solo, I mean, not, but solo head beg happens at the end of that year. Just, well, just at the start of the following year. So yeah, yes, yeah. That, well, this, in spring of nineteen eighteen is when the conscription crisis yes. occurs, and then later on in that year, of course, after the war is over, you have the election, and then it's That's on the, the election result. Yeah. Uh, by the way, so 
after Griffith's Sinn Féin are mistakenly attributed for being responsible for, does everyone just join them? Yes. Or, yes. <laughs> not to, not to, I mean, there were, you still had a significant number of home rulers. If you have a look at the election results in 1918, for example, there was a, in in those constituencies where a contest that, that took just place. becomes the political party of someone who has separatist beliefly yes and and it becomes almost the the instinctive choice by 192021 it's it's become even more sort of influential than it was even in 1918 but 18 is the sign then because it's it's that landslide election landslide election where it says oh this isn't just a minor thing anymore. yeah yeah no, in this, effect they're is... saying this is a national plebiscite people are that this the electorate has tripled as a result of the extension of the franchise well exactly and 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 the, and then just to bring to to McSweeney and McCurtain back again, it's in in 1920. Then you have the local election results, and it's in January of 1920 that the urban elections take place, and that's when. When do they become politicians? Uh, McCurtain was never a TD. McSweeney is elected a TD in 1918. McCurtain and McSweeney are elected in 1920, and McCurtain is made Lord Mayor. Interestingly, McSweeney didn't, by any means, top the poll uh, in in his. Constituency. Uh, he he was he was he was a famous name. Obviously, he was a TD, uh, and and he had a certain profile, but it wasn't something that enabled him to, in effect, sweep uh, all aside. It's it really it was 1920 local elections. Local elections. Yes. So he's a TD, and he runs locally as well. Yes, the dual mandate. So fascinating time. But eighteen is the sign that um, this this is this well. Eight, 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 eighteen is is the point. Times. Well, eighteen is the point at which you have this coalition between organised labour, uh, which had suffered a devastating defeat in nineteen thirteen. Yeah, you have the Catholic Church, uh, which in effect gives its imprimatur to to this campaign, and you have all shades of nationalism, but with the Home Rule Party in effect eclipsed because it's 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 inconsistent to them to say this was a this is a just war and you should fight it voluntarily but heaven forfend that somebody should uh, enlist uh, Irish men. You have to go back from 18 before you get to a point where no one would have believed that that situation would have come about. Uh, you know that no that's, there's no way in three years time. I, I, I would say 15? It, 15 and this is this is why I always constantly go on about the the O'Donovan Rossa funeral. Uh, it was said at the time if if he could have found a time to die that would have been of maximum <laughs> benefit to the cause, he, he couldn't have picked a better time. I mean, the, 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 I think that the war is not won. The war is clearly not going to be won anytime soon. If anything, Britain's on the losing side in 1915. The Germans still occupied most of Belgium. They've occupied parts of France. Gallipoli is turning into a disaster. Russia is is having the living daylights kicked out of it. So the Allies, in effect, the only the only place where the and and even the, the German U-boats uh, have have inflicted tremendous damage on on the British war effort at that point. So in 1915, the British are losing lots of men. This is long before the big battles, the Somme and Passchendaele, uh, are losing lots of men just every single day, and and to no purpose whatsoever. Uh, so it's it, it certainly in 1915. I think I think the failure of Gallipoli is crucial, uh, where it's clear that Gallipoli isn't going to be a success. But then the the funeral of O'Donovan Rossa is is the visual cue that the militant Republicans need to say, will the people be with us if we go down this road? And I think that's that's the the. the, the... And arguably they weren't. Well, and, and, and well, it's it, it, yeah, it, it actually took sort of a mismanagement yeah. post the event. Well, it, 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 I mean, I, I always say is that 
it's possible to argue that way, and that would be the, the general view. Uh, if if the rising had been a success, uh, it might have sort of told a different tale in terms of public responses. But because it's it's well, maybe it's more accurate then to say it 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 didn't seem as if the public were with them initially post rising. Yep. Yes, um, certainly not in Dublin, which had been yep. flattened and leveled and yep. burned and what was for? Yeah, but very good. I mean, I, I would always but literally as soon as there's there's a, the the. The leaders are assassinated. I, I, it's 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 strange. I would have a slightly different view. I, no, I would, no, no. I mean, yeah. I was almost going to say, could you follow it in the papers? Well, you? I, you you could, but I've always thought that I, I was never quite understood the logic of leaders of the rising who have been condemned for being this irresponsible terrorist who's brought death and destruction to Dublin, that has, has been personally responsible for the death of large numbers of civilians and their own rising. Would you, if those individuals were executed? All of a sudden, say, "Oh well, I, actually, now I'm a Republican." So, do you think that narrative is overstated? I, I think it is. They, I, they were jeered in the streets. Yes, and the like, but but the, the the people who were hostile to the Republicans have the perfect opportunity after they are defeated to to go out into the streets and to throw things at them and to lambaste them. Do you think there's still a hidden? There is absolutely, and and that becomes uh, very clear very soon. And and interestingly, I think it's the Bishop of Limerick, the Catholic Bishop of Limerick. He publishes a letter. General Maxwell wants him to take some Republican priests out of circulation uh, because he believes that they're geeing things up and and the bishop who was regarded as somebody who's favorable to britain earlier in his fiscal career says to maxwell you're worse than cromwell you the, the, your regime is one of the worst records of mismanagement in the history of this country and that the fact that you have a catholic uh, a Catholic publicly. bishop coming out publicly, publicly, yes, uh, and, and print and publishing it, this in the and press. That, that language, yes, publicly, yes, uh, and 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 that wow. I, I think enables the the tsunami as it is released, uh, and that's where the the people who were supportive uh, of those in nineteen sixteen are able to to express themselves, securing the belief that. As it were, well, if if a bishop thinks this way, it's okay for us. The fear of that would have been real. Yes, yes, and 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 it, but it's sort of uh, but, on the wrong side of God. Yes, uh, but uh, but then it works very positively the other way when yes. when you do get sort of an episcopal backing or sanction, then it is a very very powerful. Well, that's interesting. Thing. Yeah, because that is kind of the the narrative of it. Yeah, uh, I I always think that the the emphasis the, the the explanation that suggests that people's opinions are turned by. The, the executions. That's what John oh, Dillon. Yes, I, I think that that what was John Dillon constantly said that you're doing this. But I don't. I think that Dillon knew that most of the public was sympathetic anyway, and that he's looking Somewhere. exactly for for a way to to try and blame the British uh, for for the the I'm sorry the tsunami of hostility towards him. Uh, and the British is about to be released. The fact that martial law is enacted. Yes, know, of course, and, and that, yeah. that's going to be all oh, right. So now the army, ru the army yeah. runs things. Yeah. I mean, you know, so you know, whatever sense of sovereignty. Yeah. Um, or, or or any kind of or or, or, or sort of democratic government. Now yeah. being run by mustachioed Maxwells. Yes. Um, who who are shooting shooting our, our, yeah. our fellow. Yeah, and, and and locking everybody up who. So um, yeah, so they're the number one, and I know we do. You know, this is great. I thank you for your time again, and this has been incredible for me to be able to piece these bits together that I've kind of because you, you're right, you you do you 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 read history in sec separate sections, but yeah. there's a continuity yeah. and a connection. And, and and again, going back to the book, as it were, that the the origins of the explanation of why he's driven to do the things he does during this period, you have to go back to that earlier period of in the formative years of his life and you 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 get tremendous insights by looking at his writings. 
uh, which are the, as it were, the, the mirror on his soul. And that's the point of the book. Yeah. Um, he, okay, just to loosely wrap it up then, um, McCurtain becomes the first Sinn Féin Lord Mayor of Cork. He's killed in his home in Blackpool. There's an earlier podcast of this, if anyone wants to dig that out, and it's also available, lots of history books. Uh, and it's a well-known story. Um, and, and McSweeney takes over, uh, is Lord Mayor for three or four months, um, and uh, is on trumped-up charges. Yeah, well, but they're, you know, they're trying to burn City Hall. And, um, and... Um, I mean, he, they, they wanted him, the British wanted him. I mean, and they, were, they were going to get him one way or the other. Uh, I mean, the, the, the charges upon which he is convicted because even though he doesn't recognize the trial and doesn't plead you know ultimately he's found guilty uh the the the, the technical offenses for which he'd been convicted the the sentence was utterly disproportionate to it they just wanted him out of the way uh as it turns out he was far more dangerous in prison than he ever would have been outside uh, well, I, I am flagging energy wise in this uh, <laughs> for anyone still listening at this point there is a previous podcast that deals with that particular point a little bit more but in, in that convo that we had I did mention that I in Vietnam picked up a book about Ho Chi Minh and in the end of it it spoke about him uh, working as a, a waiter in a restaurant in Paris or maybe it was London but reading in the paper about yes. the death of McSweeney on hunger strike and saying you know a country with a leader like that should yeah. never be something like that he, he had a world impact he did it absolutely blew the Irish story up as uh absolutely and 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 it's on the front page of basically every newspaper in the world and and I'm not exaggerating that I mean I've looked at lots and hundreds of hundreds of newspapers in even non-English language do they give us Cork Lord or Irish Lord Mayor? it's interesting I mean it's really interesting in many of them he has achieved the status of name recognition where it's just McSweeney which is like Gandhi or and Gandhi was influenced by him, of course he? it was absolutely uh, or Gandhi or Mandela you know when somebody has really imprinted their themselves on the international consciousness where you don't even have to mention their first name let alone their position it's their surname alone uh, guarantees that everybody knows who you're talking about and he had reached that level of international recognition yeah, I mean, I, I could just, I could wander around with other bits, you know, about Muriel visiting through Bristol. It must have been horrific. It I mean, was. It just must have been absolutely I mean, horrific. To, to, the, to the extent to which... One yeah. Die yeah. By, by force, not force feeding, force not feeding. Yes, yeah. I mean, it, it, she, to the extent to which, for want of a phrase, she became mentally unbalanced and, and many people oh, thought that she... Who wouldn't have been? <laughs> who wouldn't? And, and it, remember, it's not just the period up to his death. It, it's the trauma of bringing the body back well, home. Sorry, that was just because I just remembered. Yeah. McCurtain had gotten, uh, well, he wasn't brought back. He was no, in Cork. He was, was in Cork. big funeral. But they, they didn't want to do that again, no. so they wouldn't let his body be landed in Cork. That's right. They, they, they allow the, the, the Catholic bishop of, uh, of the, that diocese, I don't know whether it's Brixton diocese or not, but Bishop Amigo, in fairness to him, allowed sort of his body to be given sort of the, the full rights of the church. Uh, and and it's a massive funeral, and the British police don't really try to interfere in it. The Irish in in, in London. London, yeah. When the body then is brought back to Hollyhead, the idea is that it was going to be going to Dublin first, have a ceremony there, a sort of huge public ceremony, and then taken to Cork. But it's basically the the body, it's body snatched. Uh, the the auxiliaries take the corpse, the the coffin, beat the family out of the train with Muriel being one of those who's who's sort of being shoved off bodily and his brother Sean is is being hit over the head. Uh, and they, they stick it on the boat. It's taken to Cove. 
nobody in Cove will touch it precisely because the word has come through that that this is not what the family wanted. The British bring it up the docks, land it in in the city centre. The the coffin is left on the on the uh, dock side. Again, nobody will touch it, not because they don't revere yeah. the the remains, but because they they know that they are of respect to the family's wishes. And it's only the 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 officer says if this body isn't taken we will bring it up to the barracks and we will bury it and it will be next to Tom Kent, the, the, the figure in 1916 who'd been executed and whose body, of course, remained undiscovered and almost undiscoverable for nearly 100 years. Remember, it's only in 2016 that his remains are discovered. So there was a chance that McSweeney's remains might have suffered that fate. As it happens, the, the family arrived from, from London just in time. They take the body and then they have the funeral in the North Cathedral. But even then, the British are, are interfering in, in the funeral. They're entering the church or the, the cathedral when it, the proceedings are on. They're, they're following the cortege with soldiers with bayonets, with tanks. Around St. Finbar's Cemetery, you have men in the trees with loaded weapons uh, just in case they, they they need to shoot it's it's a pretty traumatic experience so uh, again it's a wonder that anybody uh, emerged from from that experience I, I have on top of the months long the two more than two months of of suffering uh, then she goes straight to america and ultimately then she has to go over to america and, and brings, testify brings his sister mary with yeah, yeah, to yeah. help her and and, and en route seemingly admits I'm not doing so well here. Well, and she she couldn't go to the funeral. I mean, Mary, uh, Mira couldn't go to the funeral because she she was in a state of collapse, uh, and not surprisingly. And and then she she has to well whether she has to or whether she decides to accept the invitation to go to America. But and again, it felt like kind of almost getting well. Well, uh, but but I mean the sheer difficulty. Hell of, in Cork yeah, at that time. Of course, and but and then traveling to America. Uh, it was no joke, uh, sort of on the boat travelling back. You're you're the centre of attention when when you land in America. Everybody's trying to get a piece of you. Uh, it's no it's no one. I mean, uh, it would have broken the 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 strongest resolve. Yeah. Wow. Is all of that in the book? Not all of that, because because where, that, where, that, that that would be more. That that would be find more. Find a point to finish it or, or stop it. Well, we, his writings, his writings, the, the last because ultimately. So, so does the book focus on? The rest of his no, I mean it's it, it, it's because really from 1918 onwards he's he's he doesn't have time to write. Uh, okay, it, so it is about almost Thomas or Terence McSweeney yeah. uh, 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 as seen through his, his creative his, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. And what it reveals about him exactly, exactly. With, with the full knowledge that anyone interested in that knows. Yeah, I mean one thing that we do point that we make in our in the introduction, all the editors are collective, is that we desperately hope that this work will help to prod somebody into writing a new full biography because there's a there's a, a desperate Dave uh is it Dave Hannigan. He he wrote a, a good biography uh about twenty years ago. Uh but there is much more material in the public domain now than there was then. And many of the early biographies and there were three or four early biographies, they're very, very difficult to obtain. So I think with this publication, anybody who is looking to write about McSweeney will have much more uh, information uh, to go on. He wrote a biography of Terence McSweeney and yep. I haven't read it. Well, shame on me. <laughs> shame on it's me. good. It's good. Uh, and it does a good job of, of sort of 
so the coverage, not just focusing on the endoid, and of course that he gives a lot of attention to, to the the phenomenon that the the hunger strike was. Oh, really shame on me. He's literally a, a friend of mine from college and a, okay. and a great man uh, living in the states and a great journal, a great sports journalist. Yeah. And uh, I, I possibly did know he'd written that, and why why haven't I read it? I will now. <laughs> but I'll also. Um, be happy to read The Art and Ideology of Terence McSweeney, Caught in the Living Flame, edited by you, Gabriel Doherty, Fiona Brennan and Neil Bottomer, uh, produced by Cork University Press. And uh, wow, what a conversation this evening on this Cork History Matters podcast. Thank you very much. Thank For you. Magad. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.